You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Murphy a second, Chapman at first. Backward glance by K. Ready, turns, and delivers. And Jed, a line drive down the right field line. That's going to get down a base hit, into the corner, roll into the wall. Murphy has scored. Chapman streaking around third, comes to the plate. There's no throw on him as Lowry doubles down the right field line, scoring two, and the A's take a 2-0 lead. Mr. Moreland swung on, hit down the left field line, a long run. Gurriel going back at the track. He'll turn and watch, and it's gone. And Mitch Moreland hits it out the other way. About 30 feet fair, and now the A's take a 4-0 lead. Simeon's at second. Urban delivers in. Inside corner, ring him up. Fastball, strike three called. Inning Cole over. Cole Urban trying to close out seven strong here. He comes ready at the belt. A glance at first. And the lefty's 0-2 pitch is on the way. And it's on the inside corner. Freezes Gurriel, and he is gone a look at Seven innings of outstanding pitching by Cole Irvin. Wind up in the 2-2 pitch on the way. Swung on and missed. Throws it by him a fastball 94. What a job by Cole Irvin. In his sixth start as an athletic, nine strikeouts, a career high. He allows just three hits through eight innings. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, Commander getting cute with Ride the Wave, huh? Yeah, your athletics are red hot right now. And this has been a lot of fun. Paul Himikides from ESPN is going to join us coming up here at 4.15. Ray Fossey will be here at 4.30. And then former athletic, we're going to have Marcus Simeon on the program. I'm just going to tell you, spoiler alert, we've already done the interview. And it was just great to hear his voice. And, you know, you can just tell by Marcus is that this is, you know, this is home for him. He still lives here. Still has the house here, still raising the family here. So for him to come home and, as he said, sleep in his own bed, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between myself and Marcus Simeon, because let's be honest, we miss him. Marcus Simeon was a great A, and I, I, I brought it up the past two nights in the clubhouse show, don't be shocked if Marcus Simeon is back with the Oakland Athletics. Heck, it could be next year, but I think he will play for the A's again. I'll throw that by David Forrest on Friday. But you know the track record. If the A's like you, 
there's always a chance you can come back. Sandy Alderson said he made a career of moving, uh, moving and bringing back Ricky Henderson. Look at Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry's been here three different times. So you're going to enjoy this conversation coming up here between myself and Marcus Simeon. Such a good guy, such a good man on and off the field. One of my favorite A's of all time. He'll definitely go down as one of my favorite A's. Well, the A's looking to take the series today against the Toronto Blue Jays. A four-game set. They've won the first two. And last night was all about Cole Irvin. Are we getting Cole Irvin tomorrow, Commander Cody? I'm working on it. Sounds like we're going to try to effort to get him at like 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. But we will have the... The guy that started the ride the wave as we you heard the surfing music coming back. Uh, we'll hope to have him, but is he I got a question for you. Is he the oh, A's? I, I, don't even start. Is he the A's best pitcher don't right he, now? <laughs> buying are we going to buying or selling already at four oh five in what the afternoon? Show's over in five minutes. Uh buying or selling. Cole Irvin's the A's best pitcher right now. I'm buying. I mean, four starts, he's been solid. You take away the first two starts against the Houston Astros. I mean, he's been he's been fabulous. And he's been a treat to watch. As yesterday in the A's clubhouse show, Ken Korak and I talking about this was actually like a real baseball game. Not saying all the other games aren't real, but this is how baseball is supposed to be. 2 hours and 18 minutes. Game's over. You go home. That's what happens when you pound the strike zone. By the way, something I want to mention early today that I'm very happy is that we're actually getting a minor league report and that we actually had minor league games yesterday. Modesto shut out Stockton 3-zip and low A. High A, Lansing beat Lake City 8-1. And in double A, Frisco beat Midland 5-2. The number one thing, these kids are getting to play baseball again. These kids are able to reestablish their careers. 18 months without baseball. 18 months without your job. I think that's the number one thing for me yesterday beyond what the A's were able to do against the Blue Jays. Or I'll say for this series, my Yankees taking down the Houston Astros and the Houston Astros starting to fold like a cheap suit as they were they 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 had a com- so after their great start they really struggled then they kind of got hot again but going to New York and even though it was only 10,000 people the boo birds were out and they did not respond well your Jeffrey Lunau led Houston Astros commander. Well, uh, well, so I was listening to Buster Olney's podcast earlier, and uh, believe it or not, he had David Schoenfeld on, one of his weekly guests, and they were talking about how could Yankee fans' reaction towards the Astros start a chain reaction around the league? And I'm like, did, did you not watch? Uh, well, of course you didn't watch the uh, the A's and Astros to start the year, or A's and a- or Angels and Astros when they were throwing trash cans way forward on the field. But of course, since they played the Yankees, oh hey, hey, the Yankees started the trend. They're gonna start they're cursing and booing. Now every team's gonna do it. But yeah, Altuve, he just looks lost right now. And you could totally tell that this uh cheating scandal is really affecting him. We'll get into it with Hembo 
I have it for a question of buying or selling about it, which I actually asked Hembo too, but it's uh, it's alarming how um, how bad he looks at the plate, how bad of a stretch he's in. Uh, Alex Bregman, on the other hand, looks great. He doesn't care about the cheating scandal. He just hit a home run in the first inning and said, you know what, if you're going to chant F you to my teammates, I'm just going to say F you to the fans back and hit a home run. So, but, I mean, Altuve is clearly bothered by it. Dusty Baker, for some reason, is clearly bothered by it. He thinks it should be over still. I mean, he made that comment yesterday. Settle down, Dusty. Settle down. You took the job knowing what was going to happen. So we don't want to hear from Dusty Baker about how this shouldn't be going on. Well, you know what? They shouldn't have cheated. You got you got away with it in 2017. You got away with it in 2020 when there are no fans. You're paying the price. If you don't like it, you shouldn't have taken the job. I, now, I, I, was, I don't want to go off on a – on a, on a tangent about the AL, AL East, but we are we're forgetting we're burying the lead here. Uh, everyone's favorite Baltimore Orioles and John Means business had a no hitter today against the Mariners. That is correct. We had a no no today. So John Means, I mean, let's be honest. You want to? Yeah, I, I I could be like Commander Cody right now. Is John Means the best pitcher in baseball? Look how he pitched against the A's, and then he follows up. Here, let me go back in the Bible here. The way he's pitched against the A's both times, now against Seattle, you know, nine innings, obviously, a shutout. I'm not going to say complete game shutout because it's a shutout. Twelve strikeouts, uh, no hitter. He lost a perfect game because he had a strikeout and the catcher dropped the ball and there's a drop third strike and the base runner reached. And then he was thrown out trying to steal second. So the old Billy Bean, uh, no, I, I paid to get on base. I got thrown out at second. Came in to bite the uh, Mariners in the, in the behind. But congrats to John Means. That's now the third no-hitter this year. Fourth if you include Madison Bumgarner. If you include Bumgarner, that's three left-handed no-hitters this year. And then Joe Musgrove, of course, with the Padres being the only right-handed one. The first solo no-hitter for the Orioles since 1969. Who threw that last no-hitter? Friend of the program. Recently, we just talked to him the great underwear model, Jim Palmer. John Means today threw the first non-perfect no-hitter in which the opposing team did not record a walk, hit-by-pitch, or air. So it's the first in which the only base runner reached on a drop third strike, according to Elias Sports Bureau. Yeah, I had no say in that. That wasn't me, but uh, I remember seeing the runner get thrown out at second. It was just... I mean, he looked good. He's looked good all year. Uh, his changeup is unbelievable. His curveball, he's worked on it. It looks good. John Means is uh, he's putting himself, he's putting his name on the map right now for a Orioles team that's starting to build towards something. They're not going to be comp- competitive in the AL East this year, but they're only one game under right now. And we're, I know they say 40 games when you can start telling if a team's good or not, but 31 games in, they're what 15 and 16. Here we are. But uh, congrats to John Means. Uh, no, third no-hitter this year. Again, fourth if you include Madison Bumgarner. I know a lot of that's a hot, hot topic for a lot oh, of people. Oh, hot take. Our broadcast crew wouldn't even discuss it. It was such a hot take. Um, with your boy DeGrom continuing not to be able to take the ball, is, might, jo- is John Means the best pitcher in baseball? Uh, well, DeGrom, if, he, if his bullpen all goes well, from what I've read, uh, the manager of the Mets, well, I don't know for much longer, but the manager of the Mets, uh, Luis Rojas, said that if his bullpen goes on Friday, he could pitch Sunday. Sunday, DeGrom could return. But uh, 
yeah, the, the number of injuries we're seeing around baseball with pitchers uh, is pretty alarming. Christian Yelich came back, activated from the, from the IL. He went right back on the IL the same day. So the injuries, there was a great article in The Athletic today by Ken Rosenthal talking about all the injuries. And it's, they're not even arm injuries. It's more like back and lower body injuries. We saw the Luis Robert one where hip flexor, in which we don't know what that is. Uh, speaking of the White Sox. Where, where is your hip flexor? No, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Again, I'm not a doctor. I'll let my better half be the doctor, the uh, the medical professional in that. Hold on. I'm going to, let's see, hip and, flexor. In the White Sox game earlier, Liam Hendricks was running in the 10th inning in a, in a scoreless game because in the extra innings because Tony La Russa didn't know the uh, runner second base uh, role. He didn't know he could put Jose Abreu out there, so he had Liam Hendricks run second run at second base. Are you base. serious? Yeah. What's up? What, like, like. Oh, by the way, newsflash, the uh, White Sox lost the game. Tony has made some gaffes that are really head-scratching. Yeah. Well, there's that article again, The Athletic, by Ken Rosenthal also talking about how, um, you know, he's made some miscues. There's an article from Rob Arthur talking about how Tony's misusing pitchers. They're throwing too many pitches. It's like, no, no, he's just going back to the, st- the old school way of how pitchers used to throw 100-plus pitches every start, not five and dive. All right. This was a question one of my really good friends Asked me, and he's a former college pitcher. And the great Mark Podesta of Frontier Ford said, how do they get to the number 100? Like, why is 100 the number? Why is it not 90? Why is it not 110? Why is it not 120? Who established in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball and Youth Baseball that the number is 100. Is it because it's an even number? I mean, are we sure that after 100, that that's when you really think a guy's going to be hurt? You know, we should ask Elliot Schwartz, the good doctor. Where did 100 get established? Because I don't know if there's any other number in sports like it. Think about that. Is there any number in football that says you play X amount of snaps? That you could get hurt after that? How many times a quarterback can throw the ball a game? Uh, How long can a guy play in an NBA game? Or how many shifts on the ice can a guy have in hockey? I don't know of any other sport that has a number like that. No, the 100, the only thing I can think of is like, I don't know, the first big number you learn to count to is 100 when you're you're a kid. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of things because I haven't researched this, which might be something good to research. I think, and it's a century mark is the number they always say with 100. I mean, I, I, I want to know where they came up with that number, too. But, you know, tying this all back to Cole Irvin quickly before we get to, to Hembo, Cole Irvin last night snapped an A streak of 97 or 98 consecutive games of seven innings or fewer by the starting pitcher. 98. So he went eight innings. The streak now, the A's have not had a pitcher toss more than eight innings since Frankie Montas did it in May. Of 2019, he won eight and two thirds. Do you want to know who the last, comp- the last complete game by an ace pitcher was? It was not a no hitter. Oh, that was not a no hitter. That was not a no hitter. So Mike Fires, Sean, and I do not count. Okay, yeah, because uh, when it, when I talked to the esteemed Raymond Fossey, Raymond Fossey immediately goes, "Well, Mike Fires threw a no hitter." So I threw him the old Daniel Mangden. But I didn't realize your question was not a no-hitter. Yeah, not a no-hitter. It was, so, th- so the A's just went 90, 98 straight games yeah. with a guy not going eight innings? Yeah. 98 wow. consecutive games of seven innings or fewer by the starting pitcher. 
That is so weak. That I mean, if, if I'm watching Vanderbilt baseball and college baseball, it's Al Leiter's kid, and who's the other guy? Uh, that's Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. Okay, both these guys are going complete games on well over 100 innings. One of them's going to be a future pirate. I can't wait. And they're 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 college kids. These guys are going well over 100, and we freak out when Jesus Lazardo hits like 105. Like seriously, why can college kids go over 100, well over 100, but Major League Baseball pitchers can't? You know what? We're asking David Forsett. We ask the tough questions here on Ace Cast Live. Where? How did you settle on 100? That we're all now going to freak out the minute the guy goes 101, 102. Oh my God! How long is he going to be in the game? Well, remember, Vandy has a more. Remember how advanced their pitching lab is, and it was them. Was it them? Wake Forest and. Mizzou, I think, have like three of the more. You know, had that whole article in the Athletic yeah. a couple years ago. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Van, those two guys are pitching. You know, it seems like they pitch every other day for Vandy. Uh, they're they're very very good. All right, before we go to Himbo, are you ready to hear about your hip flexor? Yeah, let's hear it. Hip flexors are a group of muscles. Did not know that. That are in part with your quadriceps, your quads on the front of your legs. The quadriceps run down from your hip joint to the knee joint. Every time you take a step, you are using your hip flexor muscles. So this injury to Luis Robert is uh, not a good one, then, is what you're saying. Um, it, it sounds like you really need these. Yeah, so uh, so the three- to four-month timetable is probably going to be three to four months. He's not going to be back in uh, three weeks. All righty. Earlier today, we caught up with our buddy Paul Himbakides. From the show Get Up, the morning show on ESPN. You see him on there. And he's one of the top guys on ESPN. When you talk about knowledge, no one spits more knowledge than our buddy Himbo. Himbo, how are you? We miss you here on A's Cast Live. It is It is good to hear your voice, my friend. The season's in full swing. Your team's as hot as a firecracker. It's, uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, your A's have the best record in Major League Baseball. Uh, <laughs> that's a good club. I'll tell you what, you, you put me on the spot before the season began. I told you I had the A's making the playoffs. I told you that I had the Astros winning the American League West. And for the first week or two, I looked like a pretty smart kind of guy. And you guys haven't practically lost the game since then. So I have to admit, I've been really, really impressed, especially with the pitching staff. I have to admit, like, I think the way that you guys have managed some of the, some of the losses in the bullpen have been admirable. You, you always do as good a job as most any club in the majors of, of of patching up production that you lose year over year. And you've done a lot of it with, with the Matt Chapman hardly hitting at all. So I think at some point you guys, like the A's have been a team historically, as you well know, that have started fairly slowly in, in April and May. And once the summer hits, you guys hit too. The fact that you're off to this quick a start makes me think, I think I was wrong in my preseason prediction. This might just be the best club in the American League right now. You know, there's two things that seem to be happening lately. The Northeast media underestimates the A's. And the Phillies bullpen can't get anybody out. <laughs> That's true. The Phillies bullpen hasn't been able to get anybody out for two years, though. So every time, like every time I watch the Phillies game, it's like you're sort of watching this horror film that you that you've seen before. You know the ending, but you think you know since you <laughs> like the acting so much, you decided to keep, just watch it anytime it's on TNT or CBS, right? That, like the Phillies bullpen has improved considerably since last year, and the ERA is still astronomical. Like last year, the 
Philly's bullpen ERA was like something approximating a zip code. These guys still can't get anybody out. And yesterday, Joe Girardi didn't even have the reliever he wanted to use on the freaking lineup card. Like, we're just we're falling apart at the seams over here. Bryce Harper can only do so much by himself, though. Uh, last night, I, I played a clip of uh, in our broadcast the clip of Jose Altuve coming to at bat for the first time and just the nonstop booing by the Yankee fans until he popped up to short, and then they all just went nuts cheering. Uh, the Astros, they got served yesterday. Uh, Jose Altuve got freaking smoked by the Yankee fans, only 10,000 of them to be exact. Um, in any other year, four times that many people would have rained down on him, um, fire and brimstone. I will say this. That guy has not hit at all over the last two seasons. He seems the guy. He seems the, the mainstay on that club that has most been impacted by all the noise surrounding this. Now, I actually think it much, has much less to do with whatever strategic advantage that team gained during the during that scandal, and much more to do with the fact that he's definitely worn it more than Bregman, more than Correa. Like those guys have been very self righteous, obviously, in their you know reaction to what has gone on, and sort of decided to sort of wear it like a badge of honor. Jose Altuve has been a little bit more meek in his response, and I think what I'm learning here is that that's not the way to do it. This is part of his legacy, whether he likes it or not, and it's better off for him to own it. Like He just doesn't seem like the kind of player who's comfortable playing the villain. Like There are just certain athletes around sports that are not comfortable doing that. I'll always believe that is one of the big reasons why LeBron James didn't win the NBA Finals in, in 2011 was because he just wasn't ready for that. Like That was not him. Jose Altuve is a, was a player on a Hall of Fame track up until two years ago. He's very clearly not comfortable in this role. I don't know if he's ever going to be the same hitter that he was beforehand. Well, we have a buying or selling question in our uh, show today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Cody, what is your buying or selling question? Uh, Hembo, the question is, buying or selling Jose Altuve will never be the same again. Uh, I'm, I'm going to buy it. There are two reasons why I'm going to buy it. I agree with you. Um, like I just mentioned, I do think this scandal is like, it's, it's not going to be one of those things that, that, that sticks with him. Like it's, it'll be, a, it'll be like a scab that scars, but I don't think it's going to be the kind of, like he will, he will move past that to some degree. The other thing about Jose Altuve, which we just have to make mention is that he does not have a physical profile that's conducive to being great into his mid to late thirties. Like there was a point not all that long ago where he looked like a potential first ballot hall of famer. He's 30 years old. He's got 1,600 career hits. He's generated 35 career wins above replacement. Like, this is a player I would have very comfortably said two years ago was on a Hall of Fame track. But there's not a whole lot of 5'6", 160-pound punch and Judy second baseman running around out there in their late 30s. And at this point, that's probably the kind of career length uh, trajectory that he would have to have to someday reach the Hall of Fame, which is what I thought he would become just a couple years ago. So I'm not sure he'll ever be the same. And I don't think there are a whole lot of fans around baseball that take any issue to that. The, the, the best analogy I would make, in fact, go on a tangent here quickly, for Jose Altuve, especially somebody if he is in consideration for the Hall of Fame, is Roberto Alomar, who I will always believe would have gone in on the first ballot had he not spat in John Hirschbeck's uh, face. I will always believe that the, the, the electorate held him out for one year as sort of like a serves your right kind of vote. And I don't know if Jose Altuve will ever reach those heights. I think Roberto Alomar is obviously a good bit clear of where Altuve is at this point in his career. But I think that might be sort of the the feeling uh, by the electorate at that time, should he be fortunate enough to be uh, considered for the Hall of Fame someday. John Means has just pitched a no-hitter in Seattle, nine innings, struck out 12. John Means business. God, this guy just shoved it against us, and now he did the same thing against the Mariners. Pretty impressive. 
He's a really nice pitcher, a really underrated pitcher. Obviously, they don't get much national shine because of how bad they are. But I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'll say it again. I don't have the updated numbers in front of me because this obviously just happened. But I remember looking at the the single season record for no hitters. It's 10 or 12, and it's been it's, it's held since you know, the late 1800s. Like it's it's that kind of long since it's happened. But when you look at the number of no hit bids through six and seven innings this year. We're going to break that record, bro. Like we're going to see, we're going to see 15 no hitters in baseball this season. Right now, the average game includes 15 total hits. It would be the lowest tally in a single season in the history of the sport. It's never been harder in the history of baseball to get a hit. These guys are absolutely blowing cheese right now. Like obviously, means is something of an exception. But right now, I think it's, I think I can comfortably say that it's harder now to get a hit than it ever has been in the history of baseball. And pitchers are better and throwing harder than they ever have before. So. I'm going to go on record as saying on your program that we're going to see 15 no-hitters this season. A few of those are going to be combined, and that is that is absolutely going to break the record that was set years and years ago. Hey, is uh, Francisco Lindor having fun in New York? My goodness. Look, it's so funny. Like, I used to be, like, an Internet creature that used to believe, like, in all, like, all things numbers. Like, markets don't matter, used to be in my opinion. And then I got to ESPN and obviously changed that opinion. And watching him, I've never seen a – a great player look as badly as he has over the last few weeks. He has absolutely no idea what he's doing up there. He just got his hitting coach fired a couple of days ago, a $341 million contract. I would be willing to bet an amount of money that mattered to me. And if you ask Steve Cohen in an honest moment today, he would say that he already regrets that decision 24 games in. I don't think that's hyperbole. Francisco Lindor obviously has all the talent to live up to that contract or come close to it. But I said this at the time and I'll say it again. Francisco Lindor has only ever had one great hitting season in his career. We know he's an outstanding base runner. We know he's an outstanding defender at shortstop. But you're not paying the guy $300 million because he can pick it or because he can go first to third. You're you're paying the guy $300 million because he can hit like silly until his mid-30s, right? This guy does not have that kind of track record. He does not have the track record that even Machado had or Mookie Betts had or obviously Mike Trout had or so many of these other mega contract position players, Bryce Harper, another fine example. This guy has not demonstrated over the course of his career that he's a genuinely great hitter. When he puts it all together, he's going to produce five, six, seven wins above replacement in a season because he can blend a bunch of skills all at once. But in baseball, like if you're a position player, I don't care how well you can pick it. Your bat has to be your carrying tool if I'm going to pay you $35 million a year. He's obviously not going to hit 160 with a 180 batting average on balls in play. We know that. But I'm not convinced that Francisco Lindor is all that good of a hitter. Like, I'm, I'm just not. And the last three or four years of data suggest that I'm right. Wow. So, uh, are you calling him a bust Tell already? No, 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 no. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not doing like the, I'm not doing like, I'm not going that ESP out on you quite yet. But I will say <laughs> this. I, I, I would be willing to bet you that Steve Cohen is genuinely concerned. And I think if you look at the back of the baseball card, you can convince yourself, sure. He, if everything is, is, is swimming upstream, he's a, he's, a, he's a great player that can do a bunch of different things. But I'm telling you, you look at his exit velocity, you look at all the, the, the process data that we have now by which to measure a baseball player, he, it's just not that impressive. Like, you have to really buy into the whole package. But if you're hitting anything below even 250 in today's game, and obviously he's never going to generate that much power because he's not a huge guy – you really have to wonder how much how much he's worth, and perhaps this will serve as a cautionary tale for some teams. Like you, you can't sign a player to a contract of that size unless you know for sure he can really, really hit. Now, obviously, the contract the Phillies, my team, gave Bryce Harper a few off seasons ago. 
I was somewhat comfortable with. It's a ton of money. It's a ton of years. But I know for sure Bryce Harper is going to hit until his mid-30s because that's just what Bryce Harper does. He just hits. And I know for sure that even if everything else falls by the wayside, he's going to be able to give you 25 and 100 as a 35-year-old and thus provide some value. But, but Francisco Lindor at some point is going, to be, is going to stop running as fast. And he's going to be able to stop making plays in the hole at shortstop. That's going to be the first thing that goes. If this guy can't be a well above league average hitter, then what on earth are you paying him all that money for? Like I think among all these mega contracts, this is obviously something of a question I'm using recency bias with which to answer because like he's played a month and he's been objectively terrible. But I'm telling you, like this is not a player with a track record of being a stud at the plate. And I would I would fight anyone who's willing to argue otherwise. Like he's got some moments in the postseason. He had that one great year with the league in runs, but even that year he was only about thirty percent above average as a hitter if you look at his batting line in totality. So I'm not quite buying the Kool-Aid like everyone else, even even a month ago. Am I hearing right that you're noticing uh, the human highlight reel that we've been calling him? That would be the great uh, Razor Ramon. You, you, you've been following uh, our guy, Laser? I love I love him. I, I love Ramon Laureano. At this point, he might also be needed to play safety for the for the Raiders. Like, that, they might be in, in that much of need. Maybe he might, might even play O-line for those guys. Like, he is so yoked. Here's what I love about Laureano, right? You got you obviously could tell from day one that the kid is so freaking athletic. Like, he can do everything on a baseball field. Like, he, he's not the most loose or flexible guy out there, but he can run. He, he'll run through a brook wall for you, and he can get A to B as good as anybody. He can get A to B as good as anybody on the bases, in center field. And obviously at the dish, what I'm most impressed by is how quick that bat is. Like, his numbers right now on pitches in the upper half of the zone are outstanding. He's slugging over 600 on those pitches. He was under 300 last year. That's a really nice year-over-year improvement. We'll see if it sticks. But I'm telling you, I think that I think that's the new wave of of, of uh, star hitter in baseball. The hitter that can get to that pitch on the upper half of the zone that's not going to get beaten to the spot consistently by velocity. And that kid has some of the quickest um, hands that I've seen in the, in the league right now. And he's not getting beat to the spot. Like he swings and misses plenty, but Pitch him in the upper half at your own peril because if he beats you there, it's going out because he's so strong and he's such a good athlete. And he is honing his at-bats to an extent now where he's not going to be a liability if he strikes out once a game. That's just what he's going to do. He's just a winning player, man. The A's are 106 and 56 in the last 162 games he's played. He's a freaking star. And it's about time people on the national stage recognize that he is absolutely someone that should be on an all-star team this year so long as he keeps this up. Is one of the greatest moments of your life – when someone requests for you to do your ribs? Oh, uh, I mean, it is, that is an incomparable moment. Like I'm thinking about like the, all the things that I've done in my life, the extraordinary accomplishments. I won the spelling bee in both the fourth and the sixth grade. <laughs> I had a, I had a walk off, walk off hit in my, my sophomore year to send us to regional. I did get married uh, parenthetically when my wife's friends, they were coming over for a small party and we want you to throw on three racks of ribs. I mean, there is no greater compliment that a man can receive. There is not. Um, I mean, I, I assume someday someone will tell me how beautiful my son or daughter is. Um, it just won't compare to these baby backs. There's just no way. Yeah, I mean, there's just something about when someone says, God, you're so good at that, and it just gives you that sense of pride as you stand at, at your smoker, your Traeger, and, and you know you're delivering the goods. I, it, it really makes you a man. This, this is this is how I would best describe my obsession with this thing at this point. Like, I had a, I had some buddies over not too long ago, and at one point, I, I kid you not, I said, "Charlie, this is my buddy, Charlie, come outside. Let's listen to the ribs." Like, I pour the apple juice, uh, I pour the apple juice in, and we just listen to that stuff, that thing bubble inside the foil for straight up five minutes. Like, that is 
That is what quarantine has done to me. I'm now listening to apple juice simmering on top of my baby back ribs. I'm telling you, there, there, there's some of these barbecue guys on YouTube who will do like a half uh-huh. hour, whether it's ribs or, uh, you know, or they're, they're doing a brisket or what, and they'll have like six million views. <laughs> That's insane. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, it, it's the best. I, I'm telling we, we, we need to start our own cooking YouTube channel. It's, uh, we need to find a way to combine baseball and that. It'll become our own little cottage industry, and I, I look forward to retiring in my, in my late 30s after you and I finally crack the code. Oh, my. I, let me think about it. I'll make it happen. Hembo, you are the best. Be well, my friend. We'll talk soon. Later, boys. Paul Hembakides from ESPN. You see him on the morning show, Get Up with Mike Greenberg from one legend to another. All right, do we, you better have his opening ready. I will not bring this man on without having. Hey, Tony, I'm in the booth with you now. This, this is not calling in and say, hi, Chris, this is Ray. Go ahead. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Oh, he's doing play-by-play today. I can't wait to listen (laughs) to Ray Fossey on A's Cast. Come on in with me, buddy, and we'll do a little duo. Am I allowed in the booth? Why not? Just you and me. I'm uh, in there by myself. Cody, you got enough room? Okay. How you doing, buddy? Ray, I, I, I seriously, I couldn't believe my eyes yesterday. Which part? I saw a pitcher go eight innings. Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah, how about Melvin's comment? I either fell asleep or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, realistically, why not? And why not Montas the night before? Did, he ever, did they ever answer... Uh, with Montas only 88 pitches and he's out of there. Did, that, did anybody ever ask a question about that? No, we're just – we're conditioned. And, Ray, I, 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 I brought this up earlier today because a buddy of mine that I played with in college asked this question to me. He goes, where do they come up with the number 100? Yeah, I know. Like, like where, where – who did it? Started in the minors. Who bought into it? Like, what? Why is it not ninety or ninety-five? Started in the minors. One hundred five or one hundred ten. Why is it one hundred? Do you know my thought on that? And it's always been that whenever they they put in a certain number, I said, okay, if you're if if you're going to max out at a hundred, what's going to happen at eighty? Do you go into decline? What about the last twenty pitches? You know, are they as effective as the ones before? So, if you want to bid a hundred, then go to say one hundred twenty. You know, because otherwise you don't get a chance to stretch out. And I don't know that, you know, I, first of all, I take the, the, the counter down off the board <laughs> so nobody can look and the pitchers can't look up there and see how many pitches they have, you know, because I think it can be a positive. I remember when Tommy Malone pitched here, and I've always said it, that Tommy it seemed, seemed like it took him about 40 pitches to really get in sync. But next thing you know, 60 pitches later, and he's gone, and he's just starting to pitch well. So I, I think it can be good, but I, I still – and nobody will ever do what the Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan did when he went to Texas when he sat down there and he told Mike Maddox to take that counter and stick it where the sun doesn't shine. And when the pitcher's ready to come out, he'll tell you, and the hitters will tell you, you don't have to count and give the number of pitches for him to know when he's going to come out of the game. It's just not going to happen. But, you know, Tony, there's, there's a certain thing called protection. you got to protect guys, you know. But, uh, but I, I just think that 
you know, as fans, we look at it and we see somebody going 80 innings. Well, wow, that's great. And then Cody, we had to ask him when the last time had a non-no-hitter as a shutout. And what is it, 2018 or 2018 with Daniel Mingdon? I mean, that's how limited it is. Yeah, but so, so in order for you to pitch that well or to be able to accomplish that, you have to keep your pitch count down because I, I just don't believe – you know, if, if the game is such a way that it's uh, it, 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 you could bring a reliever in. But, you know, I, I honestly believe, and I'm glad he went eight innings last night because it gave, actually the A's had three closers they could turn to. So if Petit failed, then they could go to Dickman and or uh, Trevino and have some backup. But if you take a guy out in a six or seven like they did with Pineda in Minnesota, took him out after seven innings or something like 80 pitches, and they said, thank you, get him out of here. We can't hit him and they end up winning the game. I think it was Cleveland. But, you know, there's certain guys when you're on the other side of the dugout and this guy's so dominating, you say, get him out. I don't care who comes in. Just get him out of there. But if he stays in, mentally he's got that team that he's facing completely done. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm actually going to investigate this. I want to know this. You know, we've been hearing a lot of the trust the science because of COVID-19. Uh, where's the science that says it's 100 pitches? Like, anything after 100 pitches, you got to now, like, hold your breath. Oh, my God, he's at, he's at 110. Well, and, and you think Bob Feller, they counted his pitches on opening day when he pitched the no-hitter, <laughs> you know? And Jim Palmer told us the other day, he says, yeah, they counted pitches, but they didn't care, you know? And, and you know, when Jimmy pitched, as with Catfish and the guys, you know, you, you'd have the next-day pitcher charting just to get an idea, just to go through the – formality of, of charting them but um, you know it, it's become something but but I think just like the five-man rotation started in the minor leagues I think with the Mets I think Cody looked that up before I think it was the Mets who uh, you, you don't have to do it Cody that's fine but I, I remember it was the Mets who kind of started a five-man in the minor leagues and then gradually got into the big leagues but you can't you, you like like if they want to go back to four-man right now it would just create such havoc in the minor leagues because those guys couldn't come here having pitched on five, six-man rotation, and then jump into a four-man rotation here. So we'd have to gradually work in. I, I don't think, definitely not in my lifetime, will we ever see anything beyond um, or below a five-man rotation for sure. Uh, how nice is it that we actually got a minor league report? How about that? that and great? these guys actually, I mean, I feel so bad, Ray. Imagine your career, you yeah. get drafted, and then you don't play for almost two years. Yeah. You know the thing, and I was, um, I guess Bob Melvin in his Zoom call was talking about last night that Austin Allen's flight was delayed, and he didn't get here to 930. You know, so the A's were with Sean Murphy, and that was it. You know, just the one catcher. Big boy, you're catching. Well, Jordan Williams was a catcher, but can you imagine huh? putting him behind? Yeah, he was. So, I mean, so he's he's got at least some technique of what to do as a catcher. But By the way, I would probably say, because I've asked Chad Pender about it. Well, no, he he would get me on the I.O., though. But Yeah, but Chad Pender hasn't caught since right. high school. Right. At least Weems has caught. Right. I mean, he'd be the most recent guy who right. I, I bet it wouldn't embarrass himself. Well, and the, and the reason I brought up the Austin Allen thing, because he came from, I think they're starting in Vegas, and he was a triple-A, I'm yeah. sure. So there in Vegas, his flight was delayed evidently and, and didn't get here till 9.30. But if it had been the alternate side, Stockton, get in the car and let's go, you know, come down here. So that, to your point about the minor league starting, which I think is outstanding. Listen, I had some of my best times when I started in, in Reading, Pennsylvania in AA 
And I was so overmatched. I was 18 years young, man. <laughs> and I'm seeing pitches, guys, that I'd never seen in my life. And I go, what the – when is this going to end? <laughs> I couldn't wait till it ended. And uh, and then the next year in 66, I went to Reno and spent the full year there, met my wife, Carol. And, uh, and then uh, 67, 68, it was in Portland, Oregon. 69, I was in the big leagues. But I wouldn't trade those times in those cities for the world because – it, but, but, you know, Tony, and that's what I, I got a little bit upset last year, a couple of years ago, and I can understand. There's not much pay in the minor leagues, you know. But the minor leagues is kind of a stepping stone to get here. This is 565 minimum here, something like that. And, you know, and you see the average $4 million or what it is, you know. And you see the maximum, you know, guys making $30, $35 million. That's your goal in the minor leagues, not to go down there and have a job making money because if you want to do that, you might as well leave because you're not going to stick around anyway if you're there to make money. So when they came out and said, and, and I can understand that, you know, that they're being deprived and, and not making a lot of money, but, you know, you know, factor in that, uh, and maybe that's why they eliminated 42 teams before last year they were going to do that because they had an excess of players and they didn't feel that uh, they needed that many because the analytics showed they weren't going to make it anyway which I don't believe that either because, you know, there's some guys that just develop late or develop in the minor leagues that you do look at them and you say, oh, he's not going to make it, and, you know, then all of a sudden he does. So uh, th there's a lot of pros and cons about it, but to me there's nothing better than the minor league baseball. Bus rides in Reading, Pennsylvania and, and Reno, Nevada. Oh, man. I, re I remember we were in, in Reading, Pennsylvania, and uh, we played a game and we are in the bus heading someplace so we stopped to eat you know right after the game because that was our meal before we go so i love pumpkin pie so i went in this restaurant and i sat at the counter and i had three pieces of pumpkin pie which is half the pie so I went back to the bus and everybody's still waiting i said i'm gonna go have the rest of that pie i ate the whole pumpkin, you ate a whole, whole pumpkin, pumpkin pie and you know, the guys kept looking at me he's going what are you doing i said i'm hungry man i'm 18 i'm hungry you know, but uh, your metabolism can take oh, it. Oh gosh, yes. You know, but uh, there was some great. Matter of fact, Earl Weaver, was, uh, Earl Weaver was managing um, Elmira, New York. At, uh, no, in Double A the year before, not not in in well, yeah, in Double A. That uh, year I played there, and uh, Whitey Korowski was a manager in Reading, and I remember. We were so bad, and he kept saying, you guys are going to cause me to lose my job, you know. <laughs> you know. But, I mean, when you're bad, you're bad. But, you know, the minor league baseball is such a great experience, and, and to see all the things they do promotional-wise now where, you know, they have the races on the field and all those different things, you know. Yeah. You know, it, it's – it's beer batter. Yeah, I mean, there, there's just – I mean, it's there's just so much fun in, in seeing that minor league baseball. And that's where I felt badly about the so-called teams that were going to be eliminated because – those those people look forward to that because a lot of those people are so far away from a major league team. Correct, yeah. They don't get a chance to watch professional baseball except there, and there are a lot of those players that come through there. And, and I, I remember that uh, people from Modesto, when the A's were there, would say, oh, man, we would see all these guys come through here and now see them in the big leagues, and, you know, we know them kind of personally because down there you do them personally because you're, you're close to them and can be close to them, but – you know, that's the fun part of watching players develop and then get to the big leagues and know that you saw them at their beginning. So your wife's from here. Did she go to school at she, Reno? She was going to University of Nevada, Reno. Okay. She, she was actually Santa Clara, transferred to University of Nevada, Reno. And uh, the only reason we actually met, because she was in a sorority, and she and her sorority sister had to move out of the sorority house for the summer. 
And so she and her, her sorority sister moved into a, a complex um, out near Moana Stadium in Reno. Where we, and she, it's kind of funny. She said that the manager said, well, you know, the Reno Silver Sox are staying here. And she goes, who? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. They no. could see where her socks were. And so uh, we had four guys in the apartment that had two bunk beds and four, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, you, you know, you're not making any money. But you're playing baseball, man, and you just you, you know you just know Phil Cavaretta was the manager, filthy Phil Cavaretta they called because there was nobody. I mean, you didn't go to Reno in 1966 to watch Reno Silver Sox baseball. Oh, uh, you're gambling. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and this one this one lady gave me a silver dollar, a real silver dollar. And you actually, I was, I mean, if I'd had any force out of what was going to be happening with silver, I'd been buying tons of silver because you because they actually use silver dollars in slot machines. Versus now, whatever. Really? To, oh, oh, yeah, the real stuff. Wow. Oh, yeah, the real stuff. And this, this lady gave me a, a real silver dollar at the end of the season. She says, Ray, you keep this, you'll never be broke. I still have it. <laughs> I still have it. So how old were you when you are in the biggest little city in the world? 18. 18. You're 18 hanging out. Did you go to the casinos? I tried. We The Mapes Hotel, not the Mapes, but the Prima Donna which was downtown Reno. But I'll say this, Tony, we started in, I think it was uh, in Santa Barbara. It went from Tucson to Santa Barbara, played there, and then we're traveling up 99. And we go into Reno, it's like 4 in the morning. And I'm sound asleep, and all of a sudden, poof, all these lights hit me, man. I'm going, what is going on? And there's that sign, the biggest little city in the world. <laughs> you know? but, but, no, the, uh, we would go to a place called the Prima Donna. And I don't know if all these places are still there or not. No. But, but the Prima Donna was a place, a casino, and it had this line. It said, if you're not 21, don't cross it. So we would go into the restaurant, which we were allowed to do no matter what age. And as soon as we had come out, I'd have a few quarters, and I'd put it in a slot machine, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, can I see your ID? And I went, ding. <laughs> it always catch me. And I never got to pull a handle. Never, really? Never. And I often wondered, did he get the jackpot when he kicked me out of there? You know, <laughs> but but no, those those were those were fun times. And and Tony, I remember too that um, a catcher who unfortunately was old enough to gamble and had some problems, and he'd get his paycheck first and the fifteenth, and and he'd give uh, his roommate half of it. And he'd take the other half, and all of a sudden at midnight, he's banging on the door and say, "Give me my money, man." <laughs> and he, you know, he had nothing to spend for the next 13, 14 days. They they tra- they uh, they promoted him to AAA, and I was up. So I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" I, you know, I said, "Zayball, and he goes to AAA," but they said, "There's a reason he's going, and the reason you're staying." It was the best year that I had because I got a chance to have a full season at A ball in a California league. And, you know, if I had gone, gotten higher, it would have been like I was in Reading the year before when I was so overmatched. I, I was playing against guys that were 10, 11 years older than me. Who, this, this was kind of a dropping down from the Major League Baseball into AA. And they, the, the Eastern League in 1965, woof, there was some big, big-time baseball players who were there that had had Major League experience. That's why they're throwing those curves and sliders. I'm going, what is that? You know, I've never seen those. Yeah, you're things. playing against grown men. Thank you, real grown men, real grown men. So yeah, it, but but you know what? Just like you said, baseball and minor leagues is starting. It's a great experience for those kids. You know, in the old theory, the the, the one one player who got a hundred thousand dollars signing bonus. This was before the draft, and so he got a hundred thousand dollars. And he was smart. He took ten thousand a year for ten years. 
and it was because that he knew he'd always have a job to spring training because the Indians didn't want to give this kind of money and let him go because every year he gets ten grand. every year he'd go to spring training, and every year the general manager said, hi, I'm Gabe Paul, and he'd say, yeah, I'm the guy you gave $100,000. He'd forget his name every year, but he had to pay him. But he always had the job. So that was smart on his part or his, his uh, attorney's part, but uh, can't can't really – I mean, it, it, it's just an experience that obviously here all these years later. But, you know, I, I met Carol, and um, she went on to teach, flew for World Airways, and uh, I played minor league baseball. We got married in 70 and still married. You know, I, I think about minor league baseball, and now that we're playing again, now you can really actually look at trades because that's the one thing we've asked David Force is like, yeah. How are you trading for guys who they haven't played since 2019? Right. And nobody can watch them. Exactly. Nobody, nobody's seen them. No, no, you're exactly and right. And the alternate site doesn't count. No. And, and you know what? Th- the best thing about the minor league starting, and Frere and Reardon does a great job in, in AAA. And, you know, I've, I've talked to Fran, as you have, and, y- you know, you, you can only imagine being a manager of a AAA ball club. And you want to be have success because you want to advance the big leagues. But, you know, Keith Lippman, uh, Vin, the director of player development, now it's Bray Jr. is in that capacity. The great thing about the A is they hire within. So if let's say you're a AAA manager, and he has always said, my job as a AAA manager is to get the guys in the big leagues, develop them so they get here. So that's the beauty of them playing now because let's say something happens here. Somebody gets hurt, just like Garcia, you know, had to put him on the I.L., so now they can call Fran Reardon, say, which catcher is playing the best? We need somebody. Boom, he's gone. He's on a plane. He's coming here. And, and uh, there was a great story about Brandon Moss. When, I don't know if you heard it about Brandon Moss. When he came to the big leagues, he was playing in Sacramento, and Darren Bush was the manager. And uh, he had gone to Darren Bush, and he's playing the outfield. And he went to Bushy, and he said, Bushy, I can't get to the big leagues as an outfielder. He said, well, can you play first? He said, yeah, I can play. Never played first before. Of course I can, (laughs) Scott Hatterberg. So so he started playing first base. He's hitting home runs. So at the time, the A's needed somebody. They called Darren Bush. Who's hot? He says, Brandon Moss is crushing the ball. And Brandon Moss came up to the big leagues. And I'll never forget, in Colorado, he went third deck. That purple line where it says mile high. Yeah. He went up there. And I went, whoa. And he just went off. And I had, had an unbelievable major league career here. And, and to this day, probably still thanks Bob Melvin uh, because he was struggling and Melvin sat him down and said, you're not going anywhere. Just play your game. And that's what, that's what the manager does. That's how great Bob Melvin is that he told him that. But, but that's an example of, you know, the, the, the front office or the manager, somebody will call because they need a player, and they call the AAA manager. Who's playing the best? Who's the hottest? We need somebody now. But that's their job. And um, – so that's able to be done now because minor league baseball is up and running again as opposed to the past where you're thinking, oh, no, and you had the alternate side and you bring the guys in. But like you said, they were only playing inter-squad games. You don't want to hurt your own buddies, you know, your own yeah. teammates like that. So it's all good, and I'm glad they're playing again. Uh, the great Fran Reardon was on the program yesterday He's on A's Cast Live, and I, and, I, and I asked him about how it, it, it's so key to have that communication between – David, Billy, Bob, him, double A, A ball, you know, because yep. he's sending guys 
up here to the big leagues. Double A's sending him guys to Triple right. A, and that the whole organization has to be, yeah. you know, in line with each other. No, you're you're exactly right. It, there's a domino effect, but you know they're all in with the same idea: develop players to get them to the big leagues. Like Bobby Crosby and Adam Rosales are both in the in the low minors, developing players. You know, and, and you know I'm I'm happy for them because they have the baseball card. And, you know, they've got players who can look at them and say, hey, you've been in the big leagues, man. You know what it's like. You know, no, tell, no doubt. Tell, yeah. us, tell us what it's like, you know. And, and they, can, they can pass that information on. And, and whether they've been there or not, they're still there to give the instruction to develop those players, to encourage those players, and, and to help them as much as possible, probably more between the ears than anything, to let them know that this is where it matters up here. And so uh, I, I commend all of those guys who – I was fortunate, Townie, that I didn't have to go to the minor leagues once I got the big leagues. Oh, you're Ray Foss. No, 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 no. Forget about that. No, but, but you know, and then also to be able to get into broadcasting after, you know, I left baseball. And, and so I've, I've been fortunate. I've been very blessed in my life. But, but I often think about guys who are here and they go to the minor leagues or they their careers are over and they start at the minor league level. And I remember talking to Tony Muser when he was managing in Stockton. Uh, after I had left baseball because I had interest of, of staying in the game in some capacity, coaching, managing, whatever. And I said, if you don't mind, what are you, what are you making? And he told me, I went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I got two kids at home, you know, and he's making nothing. I said, how do you do it? And he said, well, I have two rental pieces of property. I'll sell one after this year, and I'll sell one next year, and hopefully by then I will have advanced, you know, and can make some money. But, you know, that's the struggles. I mean, that was talk about players. Talk about those managers, too. I mean, the, the coaches, managers, yeah. coaches and managers down there in the minor league level, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, but the A's do do a great job of taking care of them. And, um, uh, you, you know, you, you talk to them and I talk to them. And they all say, and, and Keith Lippman, when he's the director of player development, he says anytime we can hire within, it shows that coaches and managers who come here know that they have a chance to advance. Because let's say an opening comes up in the big leagues, you go outside the organization and bring somebody else in. You know, so why do, why do you want to work your tail off in the minor leagues of that organization knowing you're not going to get an opportunity to get the big leagues if there is an opening? So I give the A's a lot of credit for over the many, many years of doing that, and I think that's why they have such a great minor league coaching and managing staff to help develop players to get them here to ultimately win. Because if, if the A's win, they all get credit for it. And I think that's tremendous. They deserve it. I've seen your plaque at Heritage Park. Uh, yeah. You were never going back to the minor no, leagues. No, 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 no. I, I, I was fortunate to be there at a time when, uh, well, the mistake by the lake, <laughs> which is now the Cleveland Brown Stadium and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right next to it. So they've done a great job in downtown. And the draft, they did it. Yeah. Cleveland did the draft, and they had the big set for, was that NFL Network had the set? Yeah. That was right between the football stadium and the Rock and Roll oh, Hall boy. of Fame. Yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is awesome. It is tremendous. Yeah. It is. And, and, you know, the old theory is they said if you can take something from New York and put it in your city, you've, you've got a major accomplishment. And that's how big it was for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to go to Cleveland. Yeah. If you're ever in Cleveland, I yeah. highly recommend. I, oh, I yeah. mean, I could have been there for – I mean, we had a game that night, yeah. but I could have been there for hours. I mean, I mean, just just the Elvis Presley ring right, right. is incredible, no, right? And they've got them all. And they yeah. have when they have the inductions of the performers, they do it there. You know, they have the induction ceremonies there. So no, it, it's great. And downtown Cleveland's really come a long way. And uh, so you know, it, it's it's all part of baseball. And that's that's the difficulty right now of not traveling to be able to 
you know, visit some of those places that we've seen and how they develop into major cities now in downtown. So what kind of manager would you have been? I don't know because I never tried it, but I – A I player's know. manager, or would you have been more like a, a Dick Williams? All, all I know is this, and I'm not saying that they do this, but if you are playing and you can't play, you come tell me. Don't go through somebody else to be your mouthpiece. That, to me, that would burn me, to have somebody come into me and says, well, so-and-so can't play today. Oh, really? Okay. You know, tell me yourself, what's wrong? How come you can't play? It's like the late Vince Lombardi. You never went to a trainer's room with him, right? Because he didn't see you in a trainer's room going, what's wrong with you? You're not playing. Get out of here. You know? so, so, I mean, but it's, there, there are certain things about that. But, you know, times have changed, and we have to adapt to the changes. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, I, I, you know, Tony, I've been very blessed, like I said, because uh, to be able to stay with the A's organization and to broadcast uh, and be a part of this great organization, I couldn't have asked for more. And, you know, as a manager, Managers are hard to be fired, unfortunately. I know. And, and, and the amount of time you got to do every day with the media, it's, yeah. you got to talk before the game. You got to talk yeah. after the yeah. game. Like a football coach, he'll talk on Wednesday, and then he doesn't have a yeah. talk again until after the game. And you know what? People have asked me about managers, and I had some very good ones. Uh, Dick Williams was tremendous, the Hall of Famer, and Alvin Dark was very good, and you know, guys in Cleveland that, that I that manage. But in today's world, just like you said, to have to deal with the media as much as they do. I mean, we, it, we with the A's in the 70s, we had Jim Street and Ron Bergman. That was it. They traveled with us. We had two guys. And so, and then uh, uh, Glenn Schwartz, I think, was the um, – the editor over the Chronicle and, you know, but, you know, we had – did, did, did Dick Williams talk before every game and after no, every game? No, if somebody wanted to talk to him. But there was no something set in stone like that. No way. Like, he, he's going to talk every oh, single yeah. day at 345. Oh, yeah. No, that what, didn't exist? Oh, heck no. Because we weren't even out at 345. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't take the bus till 5. <laughs> no, we didn't. Yeah, that's the other thing what a lot of people don't realize – these guys get here like at yeah. noon for a seven oh seven game. Yeah. You guys didn't do that. You know, the thing about being on the road, we had one bus, and we were all on it. Everybody. Nobody was at the park early. And we'd get there and, and get dressed and, and go out and hit and stretch before the game. Let's put it on. And about two hours later, we're getting dressed to go home because <laughs> you know, that's the way it was. But times have changed. But, you know, with the COVID last year, I think they restricted the um, uh, arrival to five hours before the game. Yeah, I, like I, that. I, I think that's still on. Is it still on? Yeah. yeah. Be, because, but you're right. And then, you know, they would come out early. And But, uh, listen, when you get all your meals out here, why wouldn't you want to come out? So. I can't. But, I mean, I, I – it's amazing to me when we get here and these guys are yeah. like working out and it's like you're you're here for like 12 hours. Yeah. Well, Tony, you know the thing that and I remember talking to a player a couple of years ago when we had our uh, NBC Sports California uh, dinner in, in Arizona and one of the player current players is on and said, "You know, what do you do on the road?" And he said, eh, "I just, you know, play video games." I'm, "Wait a minute. You got 13, 14 major cities." Do you even know anything about those cities? No, not really, because game's over, come back to the hotel, and I'm going, you're missing out so much, oh, so you, much. You're getting you're, to travel the country right. for free. For free, for free. Go to museums, that's go to right. shows, go to, I mean, when I, whether it was with the A's yeah. or with the Raiders, I always 
I would look up, like, top things to do in town, right. and I'd make sure. So when I leave that town, I can say, yes, I've been here. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would do the sites. Yeah, no, and, and that's important because I did all those things my first couple of years of big leagues to where, you know, by the time I got to where I am now and going to the cities, I'd say, well, what are you doing? I said, well, not much of anything because I've seen everything. I mean, I took the time to do it, and I'd still, I still want to go to Cleveland and take a ride down um, – uh, the the lake in in Cleveland, um, Cuyahoga, Cuy- the river, Cuyahoga River, the one that caught on fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where the flats yeah, are? You know, yeah, the, yeah. Oh, the flats and go down through yeah. there. But, uh, <laughs> the river caught on fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was always the thing. But, but no, it's uh, there, there's so, so, so much to see in all these cities. You know, I mean, in New York, how could you not? want to tour new york seriously i mean i mean with everything going on and and uh, you know and, and the, like i said the major cities in this country get a chance to go there somebody's paying your flight somebody's paying your way to the hotel somebody's paying your hotel room they're giving you money to spend and you go you know you get to go play a beautiful game of baseball and take all that time to do whatever you want to do i think it's wonderful that 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 they're missing out on so much really coming up next uh marcus simeon hmm. Just what are your thoughts about Marcus coming back here? Coming basically for him, as he says, coming back home. Well, it is coming home because he he became a major league player and person probably here. You see all the things he did in the community. I commend him tremendously because see a lot of guys leave when the season's over. He stayed. His home is here. So I, I'm sure it was hard to say no. Because when you start dealing with kids and going to various organizations and dealing with them and reading books like he did, you know, I think it's tremendous. And I think it not only helped him, it helped the organization, it helped the community. And I kind of agree with what you said in your clubhouse show. Don't think he might not be coming back. Oh, he'll be back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, you know, and you're right about Billy and David. You know, I remember Mark Ellis. You know, they love Mark Ellis, and Mark still has young children. But, uh, Terry Steinbach told me that once his kids were raised, he wanted to get back in baseball. And that's kind of what happens. You know, they make enough money that they can stay home and be with their kids and watch them their sports programs. But once that, that itch is still there and then they can get away a little bit, they come knocking on the door, they'll find a place for them. So, hey, and, and especially with a guy like Marcus because his family's already here and he, he, it would be just like playing the game. We talk a lot about Ricky coming back. Yeah. And we talk a lot about Jed, <laughs> right. but a name you mentioned. I mean, how many times did Adam Rosales come back? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, it, it was every hilarious. week. It was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, waiver wire, waiver wire, waiver wire. And then Sky Bolt, they're, they're looking at him kind of that way now because he's back with the A's. Sky Bolt that came across. But, uh, no, Marcus is, is outstanding, and I think so far he's handled extremely well. I just wish that more people were allowed to be in here to appreciate, you know, what he did. But I'll say this in closing. The reception he got – was because it wasn't he who decided to leave. Remember when Jason Giambi left? Yeah, that was ugly. I have never heard. I, of course, what they did in New York with the Astros might have been as bad. But when the Yankees came in and Jason Giambi walked out, they started booing. You know, And it wasn't because he wasn't a great player, which he was throughout his career. But he got on David Letterman and read that top ten on the last one and said, have you ever been to Oakland? Whoa, you don't say that about a town that pays attention. And, you know, that word spread, and, and it was loud. It was loud. It he, was, came, he came back. He came back. But he had changed his swing to right field at Yankee Stadium, so he never really got back his swing that he had here. 
All right, Ray, have a good call tonight. Thank you. And, and how long you got, Marcus? Because I know 540 uh, A's uh, total access begins. So you're a busy man today. Yeah, well, we're going to Marcus right now. Well, you go to him, and I'm going to go get my work ready for play-by-play, and I'll have you in as a guest a little bit later. <laughs> Marcus Simeon joined me earlier today on A's Cast Live. Marcus Simeon now joins us here on A's Cast Live. I can't tell you how great it is to hear your voice. How are you? We miss you. I'm doing well. You know, it's been nice to be at home, stay in my own my own house, sleep in my own bed, uh, be around family again. And uh, the only difference is I'm on a different team. So it's a little weird, but everything's good. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what this moment is going to be like, but obviously you were fine. You're going to come home and you're going to play against the A's. What was the experience like and the video tribute and, and everything for your family? Uh, it was great. I mean, everything was first class uh, from the A's, and I just want to thank David Force for that, you know, putting that out for me. Uh, my family really enjoyed that, and I, had, I, I left a lot of tickets for everybody because I know it's 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 rare now to come come back home and, and play big league baseball in front of family. So it's something that I've been able to do for six years, but now it's you know it's once a year. You know, and then the relationship you still have with all the players is from up here in the press box, we've been able to see you reunite with so many of your friends. And I know like yesterday you had a long talk with Bob Melvin on the field. Just what has that been like seeing all these guys? Because I know they're like they're like family to you. Yeah, I mean, these guys, you know, they came up as rookies. I was, I was here you know, a couple of years prior, but I've you know, seen them mature into – you know, big league superstars. It, it, it sucks playing against them because they're so good. And they, they had good games the first two nights. And, um, talking to Bob, you know, Bob is like a, another father figure to me. He, he managed me for six years. I, I spent more time with him than any manager, any coach. So, you know, he he's one of the best. He I think he is the best in the game. And those guys know they have someone special who cares about them. Um, and you even see the moves he made in, in the first game, just, you know, putting Lou in in the eighth against the heart of the lineup, uh, stuff like that. Is, is, is just a, he's a veteran manager. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, you got a lot of young talent around you. What's it like being we, – we call them the baby Jays. What's it like being around all these young guys, and, and they're very aggressive, but uh, they're also very, very talented. Yeah, the talent is through the roof, and – the maturity is there too. You know, I think it's just going to take experience. You know, this this first half of the season will be very important. Just uh, you know, go through some some things I went through as a young player. You know, and I think they are going to learn faster than I did, just because of the talent and, and their, their pedigree. And you talk about a Vladdy and a Bo Bichette, you know, Bizio, Teoscar, Guriel. All these guys are so talented they hit the ball so hard and it's just i'm happy to be a part of that and anything i can do to help them along the way i'll do but you know i'm, I'm focused on helping us win first and foremost you know it's a very interesting um story going on with the toronto blue jays as you know you you can't play in canada you started the season at your spring training facility now you guys are going to go to buffalo does it just does it just feel like everywhere you go it's going to be a road trip? 
Well, that's, that is kind of what it felt like in Florida. Uh, I know we're not done playing there yet, but there are a lot of, you know, Yankee fans. Uh, who else have we played? Nationals fans, Braves fans. Yeah, it does feel like a road game, but we've played some decent baseball there. Um, you know, it's a pretty good place to hit if the wind's blowing out. Some days it blows in, it's not too good, but uh, the toughest adjustment was probably just lower lights. You know, the minor league lights uh, while facing big league superstar pitching. So that was an adjustment. Uh, but we, we've been playing good baseball. I think that the first month is always, you know, a slow, you know, for me it was a slow start, for other guys a slow start. And then you get comfortable and you get rolling. And we'll just have to adjust to wherever we're playing. You know, two A's I want to ask you about. And one we just recently had on the program and we talked about you. We've talked about you a lot, Marcus. I gotta be honest with you. There's, there's been a, I mean, from the whole off season uh, through this season. Of course, we're always going to be rooting for you. But uh, a guy that you played college with, uh, you played for years with, Mark Canna. Uh, just talk about the year he's having to where you know we always nicknamed him Duct Tape because he can do everything for Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin has a problem. Well, you stick Duct Tape there, and the fact that he's a leadoff hitter now. What do you think about your buddy Mark Canna? I, I knew you were going to say, Mark. I just had a feeling because he, he looks so good out there. He looks comfortable in that leadoff spot. He stands right on the disc. He doesn't care if he gets hit. His on-base percentage is through the roof. And he runs the bases better than you think. Um, and I've known this forever. I always thought that him being at the top of the lineup was never a bad thing. So uh, he also plays solid defense. And he's a great teammate and great leader. So he keeps the guys loose. Uh, off the field as well and you know he's a guy you always want on your team and when you're looking at him from the opposite dugout other guys always ask me about him say what's that guy like he's just kind of like real intense i said no he's the best um, but i've also known him forever so guys like mark guys like chris bassett these are people i've played with you know my entire professional career um so it's crazy to be on the other side of it now and the other guy I want to ask you about, you played a lot of games with him at second base. Uh, it's just the amazing story of Jed Lowry. I mean, he he leaves here after, you know, two years that were just incredible. And he goes to New York, and he's hurt, and he barely can play. So he's basically off for two years. But then he comes back here to Oakland. It's like he never left. He looks like the same guy. Just what does it look like for you from afar watching Jed Lowry reestablish his career? Yeah, Jed looks great. I mean, his, he looks exactly the same. You guys are right. Um, I think that you go back to 2019, um, you know, he had the injury in spring. Never seemed to get better. Uh, and, and it seems like what he needed was a surgery that he got last year. So um, he, he looks comfortable now. He's obviously, I know they're trying to keep him off his feet a little bit more and DH him and give him days when he needs it. But every time he's in there, he's, He's a problem for the opponent. Um, you know, we sat down in 2019. Uh, I think we were in Houston, and he was back home rehabbing. And we got to go to lunch, and he just told me everything. And he was just seemed like he was just in such a dark place at that time. So I'm just happy to see him back doing what he loves to do and, and playing well. How how how's the wife and the boys doing? Everybody's good. You know, I. I've, I had them fly out here a couple of days early just to, you know, get back in the house and get set up. 
and um, you know get their COVID test and all that stuff. And then you know when we landed in Oakland, my wife picked me up. We got home and it felt like old times. Um, kids love coming here. They've always loved coming here, but they've grown up a little bit, so they're watching baseball and, and paying attention a lot more. And, um, you know when we're back in Florida and when we go to Buffalo, you know my mornings usually consist of throwing batting practice with them now. So they they're gonna love you know, playing the league and, and growing up around baseball. Uh, so so they're starting to realize dad's dad's kind of a big deal. Yeah, a little bit. Not as big as Bo Bichette some days. <laughs> <laughs> my my four year old is he's already got his front toe. Um, you know, just like Bo's. I said, where'd you get that? He said, that's what Bo Bichette does. But, you know, when you ask him who my four-year-old his favorite player is, it's still dad for now, so I'm happy. Well, hey, let me tell you, there's something I've said on the postgame show the past couple nights. You know, don't be shocked if Marcus Simeon plays for the A's again. There's just something about guys that Billy Bean and David Forrest, if they like you, there's always a chance you could come back. But I just want to thank you the way you treated me all these years. Uh, you were nothing but class, and, and and we are rooting for you. You know you're always going to be a part of this A's family. Thank you so much for everything you did for all of us. I appreciate it, and thank you for all the kind words. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll, we'll meet up again. All right. Be well. Be safe, Marcus. You take care. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, what a good guy he is. He's always going to be one of my favorites. Not just because of what he did on the field. It's how he carried himself off the field. I mean, he was always generous with his time. You remember the last, when was the last time we interviewed Marcus Simeon? I want to say it was after we got him at the winter meetings in 2019. I think it was the winter meetings. No, we had him after that because it was when he was up for the MVP. And we had him on the phone. I remember because me and I were in the, uh, well, talk about being forever. We were in the... Uh, the Jack London Square uh, studio that we have in Jingletown, or Joey Town, as you like to call it, in the offices. I think that's – it was 2019. It might have been early 2020 is the last time we talked to him. Wow. When's the last time we were in those offices? Uh, early 2020, probably January. So we're looking at, what, a year and so we're looking at like 16 months. So I just filled the Bible out. Guess who's playing first base for the Toronto Blue Jays tonight? Well, I didn't see their lineup. Um, well, I see Vlad taking balls a third, so it's not Vlad. Uh, is it Kevin Biggio? Vlad will be your DH tonight. Oh. Is it Kevin Biggio playing first? Kevin Biggio is not. He is playing third. No idea who's playing first. Joe Panic. He's a competitor. Joe Panic is playing first base tonight? Well, he's the ultimate versatility guy. That's why the Giants drafted him. In the, in the first round out of St. John's. Hitting 240, no home runs, four RBIs. Joe Panic is playing first base tonight? Remember when, remember Are you when, serious? Remember that one that good year he had with the Giants and everyone told us how? Oh, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, then nothing. Uh, he's a good guy, um, but I can't, I can't believe he's playing first base. I, I Seriously, what are they, I mean – I mean, I, I love the versatility of guys in baseball anymore where they're, a lot of these guys are playing different positions, but I didn't ever thought I'd hear myself say, Joe Panic, first baseman. Yeah. Let's uh, like Mike Brasso playing first base for the Rays. He's, he's not a big guy, like, height-wise. I never pictured him being a first baseman, but he does play first base. He plays it pretty well. 
He picks it pretty well, so we'll see what Panic does tonight. But yeah, when he said playing first base, I thought it was going to be like Biggio or, or someone else. Never my never would I have thought it was going to be uh, Joe Panic. All right, you ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Well, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm going to get to it again because, uh, hey, as we remember from our old sports talk radio days, different hour, different audiences are listening. So uh got to gotta draw them in, got to get that time spent listening, that cue. Oh, there you go. The old TSL and cue. There you go. So I'm not sure why people are writing about it, but I figured I'll bring it up. The White Sox are playing decent baseball, even though they lost today. And I told you Liam Hendricks was uh, running for the White Sox in extra innings because apparently Tony La Russa didn't know the extra inning rule. But that's not what this is about. They're currently leading the AL Central, entering today, even though they lost. But they did just lose Luis Robert for three to four months with a torn hip flexor, or I think that's what it is, a hip flexor injury. But in The Athletic, an article is written about Tony La Russa and his managing ways. They noted him leaving relievers and starters in way too long. Now, Rob Arthur, Baseball Prospectus, wrote an article last week entitled, Tony La Russa is leaving his pitchers in too long. That was certainly true in the Lucas Giolito game, and the White Sox had three other games in which Starting their starter reached 110 pitches. Carlos Radon, remember he threw, an, he threw a no hitter earlier this year, did it twice, including his no hitter. Only nine other pitchers have reached 110. The Indians Shane Bieber and Dodgers Trevor Bauer also did it twice. The Astros managed by or, yeah the Astros managed by Larusa's friend Dusty Baker have only had one such game. The crazy thing is the biggest increase in injuries the first month because I went back and looked at that article Ken wrote is lower body injuries. It's not been arm injuries. So buying or selling. Tony Larusa is leaving his pitchers in games way too long. I'm almost offended you asked me that question. I'm not even going to answer that. It's actually more of I, I I couldn't get to the page quick enough. It's Tony Larusa is hurting starting pitchers, but he's still not going to answer. Same question. Because they're because they're going 110 pitches. It's too many. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. What was the most pitches you ever threw in a game at San Jose State? Uh, I have no idea, but I guarantee you, I I walked a lot. Of pe- I was a strikeout walk guy, so my okay. pitch my pitch count. You got to rem- well, you got to remember my. So you were five and dive I, then. I didn't start until my senior year. I was a reliever. So you were, the, you were a reliever with a high K to walk or high K and walk ratio. I I, <laughs> I came in throwing as hard as I could. I didn't start till my senior year. Um, yeah, I, I and I remember I was thrusted into it. And I had to learn how to do it again. So by the end of the, you know, I, I when I beat Stanford when they were number two in the country, I shout clear, out AJ Hinch. I uh, clearly threw over a hundred easily. Oh well, I mean that's pretty impressive. I mean that was that's not a lot of pitches. That was also like thirty years ago. So. That's not a lot of pitches. Yeah, well back then it wasn't. Now that's, I mean, our Dave Sick, who was our ace, who played in the Angels organization, he threw nine. Every Friday, he was going eight or nine. Well, He's throwing 130, 140. I mean, it's a joke. I wonder how many innings uh, high school pitchers are throwing now. Okay, how about in high school? In high school, I I threw seven innings every game. Well, I wasn't a pitcher, so con- every kudos game. to you. I mean, it, it was I was the starter, the closer. They weren't taking me out. I was going the entire – so I threw more in high school than these guys do in the big leagues. How, that's a joke. <laughs> Think about that. It's a joke. That's a that's a lot of pitches in high school. 
You, you no, it wasn't. Everybody, every if you were a stud baseball player in high school and you're a pitcher and you wanted to go play college ball, you went seven every game. One game's only seven innings. Yes. Well, that's, that's actually a good thing. It's a complete game. You had more complete games than guys having baseball now. It's sad. It's like. We can't get pitchers to go five innings. High school guys, but college, everybody pitches more than these guys in the big leagues. It's crazy. Well, I brought this up with with Ray Fossey before he walked away, and I mentioned it to you, but here we go. Hey, remember when the Dodgers were 13-2 and everybody said that uh, they were going to be the greatest team of all time? I'm pretty sure I heard that on our show. I'm pretty sure I brought it up. Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard it on ESPN, MLB Network, uh, Buster Olney's podcast. Well, since then... They're four and twelve. Uh, Dustin May is gone. Uh, Tony Gonsolin and uh, Dustin, uh, David Price aren't there either. They've hit two hundred six over the last sixteen games. They're only on pace to win eighty nine games right now. So you can kiss the hundred and fourteen or hundred and sixteen win plateau goodbye. But can they still win a hundred games? Uh, well, we'll see. Their bullpen is struggling a little bit. They're currently sitting at seventeen and fourteen, tied for second with Bob Townsend's Padres, and only one game ahead of our good friend Tori Lovello in the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, the Giants just lost today, so the Dodgers can uh, climb closer to first place if they win against the, I think they play a game against the Cubs. So buying or selling, it's time to panic about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yes, I love it. They've gotten complacent. They've gotten fat and happy. I'm, I, I, I am. I, I, I've got my finger so on the panic button right now. I love it. I think the only good story they've had so far is Trevor Bowers pitched pretty well for them. But that's, I mean, I mean Bellinger. I can't. I don't even. I haven't looked at their lineup. I don't even think Bellinger's back. I mean, Mookie's not hitting. I mean, he's doing okay. He's not hitting great. I mean, they're 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 their bullpen is struggling. By the way, they're still seventeen and fourteen. By the way. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, they're what? If they win today, I think they play take against the Cubs. If they win, they're in the Giants' loss. They'll be half game back. So. I mean, yeah. They're buying or selling the San Francisco Giants. That's that's in here. Come okay, on. all right. You're right. jumping way ahead of me. Let's, Sorry. Let's uh let's let's get to the let's get to the Yankees and Astros first. So uh, while the Astros are playing in New York, this is now their second game. But I set this up for the first game. Dusty Baker Dusty Baker made some comments to the uh, to USA Today. I want to assume it was probably to Bob Nightingale, but it just said USA Today. He said it's going to be wild. The Yankees have uh, been some of the harshest critics of the Astros since the 2017 scandal. Because remember, they lost to the Astros in 2017 and 19 in the ALCS. I don't think there's any question about how fans are going to react to them coming to the stadium. And that was what Kyle Higashioka said, Garrett Cole's personal catcher. Cole pitches on Thursday. Uh, Dusty Baker said, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it should be over with. Jose Altuve took the brunt of all the uh, criticism in this. There was a lot of FU chants and booing and everyone saying how the the Yankees are Yankees fans are setting the tone for how baseball fans should Set the standard going around baseball now with the Astros coming in. Buying or selling, the Yankees will sweep the Houston Astros this series. Uh, I'm totally rooting for it. I'll buy. I think I think it's going to happen. Garrett Cole pitches tomorrow. Uh, I don't know what to, I think it's Jordan Montgomery. It's, oh, it's 2-2 in the fourth inning right now. So uh, I, I like the Yankees in this series. The Yankees are starting to play well. Uh, uh, Giancarlo Stanton took his batting average from like 150 to 297 in this recent hot streak he's on. Uh, he's staying healthy, but, you know, an injury's probably on the way. Same with Aaron Judge, but they're playing well. So, uh, Mets, speaking of Altuve, he's in a really bad funk. He's currently hitting 247. In 2020, he hit 219. 
Clearly, cheating scandal is affecting him big time. Every time he made an out last year, it seemed like he just ran out the field so no one would pay attention to what was going on. He had 31 homers in 2019. Since then, he's hit six. Six home runs total from last year and the one he has this year. In his last seven games, he's one for 24. That's a .42 batting average. Uh, in his last 14, he's five for 33. That's a 152 batting average. Buying or selling, Jose Altuve will never be the same again. I'm buying. He's folding like a cheap suit. <laughs> and you know what? I, I wish they were all folding, but you know what? I don't feel bad. I, I, I'm still so bitter about that. And Aaron Judge yesterday. You know, did we go over that, what Aaron Judge had to say yesterday? Or it wasn't it – wasn't, I don't know if he said it yesterday, but Aaron Judge – I remember his comments, but I don't think we went over it. Yeah, so Aaron Judge, I had up my notes here. Aaron Judge is not backing down. I mean, he's a guy that – He lost the MVP to Altuve in 2017. Exactly. As a rookie. I mean, he's 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 got, he's got a bone to pick with him. And the thing that I love about what Aaron Judge had – I'm trying to find it. Well, let me ask you real quick. Uh, buying or selling the hot start by the San Francisco Giants. I'm not going to go through the whole I'm thing. I'm selling. Wow. I'm selling. Well, they did just lose to the Rockies. Uh, that's two out of three they lost to Colorado. They're now six and three versus the Rockies. and uh, But they're 12 and I think, I forgot the record is, but they're 12 and like 10 versus everyone else this year or something like that. Or 12 and something against every other team this year. So um, the Giants uh, may be coming back down there. Their pitching staff is really good. They have the best ERA in baseball coming into today in the National League, starting pitching-wise. Joel Sherman. Not friend of the program. That's correct. In, high, in hindsight, we can now wonder, could that season of Astros cheating 2017 have been the last chance for the core of these Yankees to win it all? So, you know, the Yankees are already pissed, right? And then you got people saying that. Then Judge said this, I just don't think it holds any value to me. Talking about the Astros winning the time the title you cheated and you didn't earn it that's how i f that's how i feel is it wasn't earned it's tough to think that it didn't continue i don't know all the facts nobody knows all the facts to be honest so think that so to think that they cheated and won it all in 17 to think that they just clear cut stopped in 2018 and 19 is tough for me to say that but we'll never really know yeah, he he's he's never gonna get over it. I mean, I wouldn't either. He he got he got the. I I agree one hundred percent. Don't tell me you cheated to a title and then you guys all decided. Uh, you know, we're not gonna do it anymore. Yeah, well, Altuve who uh, hits the home run off Chapman won't let his teammates take the jersey off. Goes into the clubhouse, changes his shirt, and then uses some excuse. His wife doesn't want to see him get, have his shirt. It was like. You're so guilty. I'm, I'm shy. I'm shy. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's it for today. That's it? We're done? Yeah, yeah we're done. What are we playing here? Uh, the great uh, Dodger reliever, Dave Stewart. Dave Smoke Stewart. Stu, coming up next, and I'll talk to you in a little bit, getting you ready for A's baseball, game three of this four-game set between the Toronto Blue Jays, better known as the Baby Jays, against the A's. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.